Good day, everyone. I'm turning my life over to you, Jesus. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. Thank God for another season. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D. Here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books in the Bible, not just one scripture, full chapters. And of course, I share my commentary while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith, walk in God's amazing grace by learning Bible truth and continue to praise the living God. Good morning, saints. Oh, boy, I tell you, uh, thank you for tuning in. I thank God for another day and another opportunity to share with you his living word. Now, we will be covering chapters five through eight today of Second Samuel. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I advise you to go back through my podcast and listen to episode one of Second Samuel. So without further ado, I want to get started immediately. Now I will be teaching from the Amplified Study Bible today. I typically use different versions depending on which one is closest to the original writings, which is in Hebrew, that is the version I choose. I have about a thousand versions and including the Hebrew. I studied Hebrew in school and a Hebrew language. If you want to be completely accurate, you have to learn Hebrew. Now, if you learn God, this is a little nugget. If you learn God's DNA, if you learn who God is, you won't have to look at the Hebrew all the time and compare scriptures you know God's makeup, you will be able to discern which version is accurate. Oh yes, I praise God and I thank God for that gift of discernment. And it is available to everyone if you truly believe. So with that said, I hope you are in Second Samuel chapter 5 and I am commencing at verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Verse 2. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led Israel out to war and brought Israel in from battle. And the Lord told you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over them. And that's in first Samuel. We covered that already. Chapter 15 verses 27 through 29 and chapter 16 verse one, verse three. So all the elders, meaning the tribal leaders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed him king over Israel. Now, this was the third time that David was anointed as king. The first time was in anticipation of his rule. The second time was acknowledgement of his rule over Judah. And the third time acknowledged his rule over the entire nation. Now let's pick up at verse four. David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. This explained that David's age explained why he did some obnoxious things. He was still learning. However, God knew exactly why he chose David to be king. David had a good heart. He had a heart for people and he was just, meaning he was righteous when it comes to when it came to people, God's people. David did right in their sight and he was fair to those people. He treated them well, although he wasn't perfect, because we are going to read when David imperfections 
um, rears its ugly head. Uh, verse, where, where, where am I? Let's pick up at verse five. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Verse six. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you shall not enter here for the blind and the lame. Even the weakest among us will turn you away. They thought David cannot come in here because the walls are impenetrable. Now, the reason they said the uh, blind and the lame would defeat David is because they thought that they were secure in the fortress that they had built. Okay, let's pick up at verse seven. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. He changed it and is now called the city of David to this day. Verse eight. Then David said on that day. Whoever strikes the Jebusites, let him go up through the underground water shaft to strike the lame and the blind who, and he was being sarcastic here, who are detested by David's soul because of their arrogance. So for that reason, they say the blind or the lame talking about the Jebusites shall not come into the Royal house of Israel. Now the water shaft or tunnel extended about 230 feet up from the Gihon spring to the top of the hill where the Jebusites fortress was, was situated. You can read that. And also in second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 30, the tunnel gave the city a secure water supply in the event of a siege. Now let's pick up at verse nine. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And he built all around the surrounding area from the millow, meaning the fortification and inward. Verse 10, David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, meaning the God of armies was with him. Verse 11. Now Heron, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees, carpenters and stone masons. And they built a house, meaning a palace for David. Verse 12. And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel's sake. Verse 13. David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to him. Now, uh, let me shed some light on uh, about David taking more concubines and wives. Now, these marriages reflect David's involvement in international treaties and alliances, which were sealed with the marriage of King's daughter to the other participants in the treaty. Concubines, um, wives who did not have the legal rights of a true marriage were a part of a royal harem. Now, the status of kings in ancient times was often measured in part by the size of their harem. But Israel's kings, including David, had been warned not to acquire many wives. And that is documented. Write this down in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17. David, and I mentioned in episode one, David had issues with women. He loved women. And that's going to be one of his downfalls, him loving women. And taking the blood of an innocent man. Now let's pick up at verse 14. And these are the names of those who were born to him, him who David in Jerusalem. Now we all know it's difficult to pronounce these Hebrew names. So I'm going to do my best. Shammah and Shabad, Nathan and Solomon. They weren't born yet. They're just giving you the future names of his, of um, names of David's future children. Nathan and Solomon. Uh, verse 15, Abher and Elishua, Nephag and Jephua. Verse 16, Elishama and Eliada and Elephalet. Yes, those were the names of David's children. Verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines or Philistines, I, I, I tell you constantly that both pronunciations are correct. The Philistines went up to look for him, but he heard about it. Who is he? David. David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Verse 18. Now the Philistines had come and spread out for battle in the valley of Ephraim. 
Verse 19, excuse me. Something is in my mouth trying to get it out. Verse 19, David inquired of the Lord. David went to the Lord about this saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord said to David, go up for I will certainly hand them over to you. David never went to battle before conferring with the Lord. Okay. And that is what we should do. Whenever we are in our times of trouble, like today, we have to go to the Lord and let the Lord tell us what we need to do so that we can be protected. Okay. Verse 20. So David came to Baal Perazim and he defeated them there and said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. So he named that place Baal Perazim, meaning master of breakthroughs. Verse 21, the Philistines abandoned their pagan idols there. So David and his men took them away to burn them. Verse 22, the Philistines came up once again and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. Verse 23, when David inquired of the Lord, David went to God again. He said, you shall not go up. Talking about, when I say he, I'm talking about God. God told David, you shall not go up, but circle around behind them and come at them in front of the Balsam trees. Verse 24, and when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the bells and trees, not talking about the wind. He's talking about men, men marching, the sound of the, the armies marching. Then you shall pay attention and act promptly. For at that time, the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. God went out before David and struck that army. David didn't have to do it. God did it. Verse 25, David did just as the Lord had commanded him. You need to understand for God to work on your behalf. You need to do what God asks you to do. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it and you can't input your opinion and tell God what to do. David did exactly what God asked him to do. And what did God do? Let's read verse 24 again. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the bells and trees, then you shall pay attention and act promptly. For at that time, the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 25. David did just as the Lord had commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Now we are entering chapter six. Verse one, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. Verse two, and David arose and went with all those who were with him to Baal Judah in Kariath Jerium to bring up from there to Jerusalem, the ark of God, which is called by the name, the very name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies who dwells in throne above the cherubim. Verse three, they placed the ark of the, of God on a new cart. Oh, that was a mistake. There's a certain way you have to carry the ark of God. And I will explain after I read this, uh, verse three, again, they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill and Uzziah and Iowa sons of Abinadab were leading the new cart. Verse four, so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill. And Iowa was walking in front of the ark. Now, first, let me explain what Baal Judah. The name means masters of Judah. And the city was also called Be Baalah and Kariath Jerium. It was here that the ark had been left after it was returned by the Philistines in the days when Samuel was a young man and there was no king. And we read about that when we covered the series in first Samuel, that was in chapter seven, actually verses one and two. Now cherubim are angelic beings generally regarded as guardians of God's holiness. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 25 verse two. Now, the ark was placed, <laughs> we, we, you got, I want you just, we're getting spiritual here. We're talking about laws, the laws that God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel. And they were not following that law on how to transport the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, the law was specific. 
that the ark was to be carried by the sons of Cuthanate, okay, or either Cathanate, not by a cart or any other vehicle. You can read about that in Exodus 25 verse, verses 14 and 15 and Numbers chapter 7 verse 8 and 9. And listen to what happens. Verse four. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking in front of the ark. Now let's go to verse five. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating and dancing before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir or cypress, cypress wood with lyres, harps, uh, tambourines consonants and symbols verse six when they came to Nikon's threshing floor Uzzah or Uzzah reached out with his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it because of the oxen stumbled and nearly overturned it oh, he nearly overturned the ark of the covenant of the Lord now watch what happens um, verse seven, and the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah and God struck him there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Now, let me tell you something. We know in part, we don't know everything. I don't know why God struck him down because this was a glorious moment. The ark of the covenant of the Lord had returned to where it was supposed to be, which was with his people, Israel. And this man stumbled. They were not carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord according to the law. And it is unclear and it's not documented whether or not they knew how to do it. But in any event, he was still struck down because he almost dropped the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Now, David became angry and grieved and offended because of the Lord's outburst against Uzziah. And that place has been called Perez Uzzah or Uzzah. Uh, meaning outburst against Uzzah to this day. Now, I don't know if it's to this day. When they said to this day, they were talking about 10,000 years ago. Verse nine. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Because he didn't know. Now, it, it baffles me how David didn't know the laws of Moses because they are still under that covenant. We are not under that covenant. Can I hear you say, thank God for Jesus? Thank God for his grace, because we are not under that covenant. We are under a new and better covenant. It doesn't require us to follow the laws of Moses. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Verse 10, David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, Obed-Edom is from the Levitical priesthood, and he's a black man. He's a Gittite. Mm -hmm. They never mention color here. See, I told you before racism and against black people originated in America. OK, that racism originated and was born in America. And you can't use scriptures to con look to confirm racism with God. God had an issue with people who worship idol gods. He didn't have a, a, a issue with people because of the color of their skin, because God looks at the inward appearance and man looks at the outward Outward is skin color. Okay. God looks at the heart. Now he allowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord to go to this Gittite's house. Okay. Obed Edom. Now, uh, verse 11. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. Obed Edom was a Levite of the family of Korah. Y'all remember Korah? And uh, 250 men that perished with him in his rebellion against God's way in the tabernacle. And later, one of the doorkeepers for the tabernacle. That's who Obed-Edom was. Now, you can read about that if you want. You can write down these scriptures in First Chronicles 15 and 18 through 24, chapter 26, uh, verses 4 through 8. Now, he was called the Gittite because he was from the Levitical city of Gath-Rimon. And you can read about that in Joshua chapter 21, verse 24. Now let's pick up at verse um, 12. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because the ark of God, 
because of the ark of God. Now, because the ark of the covenant of the Lord was at Obed-Edom's house for three months, God allowed that man and his entire family to be blessed. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with rejoicing and gladness. David learned how to properly transport the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It had to be transported on the shoulders. That's in, you can read about that uh, in Deuteronomy. Um, with rejoicing and gladness. That's the um, latter part of verse 12, verse 13. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord by its poles and had gone six spaces, he sacrificed, he is David, sacrificed an ox and a fatling. Verse 14, and David was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. And David was wearing a linen ephod, which is a priest upper garment. It's a sleeveless upper garment that priests wore. Now, let me remind you, David was not a priest and he was not a prophet. David was just anointed king of Israel. He didn't have no special powers. He just had a strong relationship with God. Uh, verse 15. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord up to the city of David with shouts of joy and with the sound of the trumpet. Verse 16. Then as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, who is also David's wife, looked down from the window above and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she felt contempt for him in her heart because she thought him undignified. Now you got to remember whose daughter she is. I don't even know why David sent for her, but um, he's going to be reminded as we continue to read why he should never have sent for her because she had her father's evil spirit within her. Verse 17, they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Verse 18, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He blessed the people, not himself. He blessed the people, not himself. Verse 19, and distributed to all the people, the entire multitude of Israel, both to men and women, to each a ring shaped, <clears throat> excuse me, a ring shaped loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. They love raisin cakes back in that day. Then all the people departed each to his house. Verse 20, then David returned to bless his household, but his wife, Saul's daughter, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious and distinguished was the king of Israel today, she being sarcastic, who uncovered himself and stripped off his kingly robes. He wasn't naked. He just wasn't wearing his kingly robe. He wore the ephod. Uh, in the eyes of his servants, in his servants maids, like one of the riffraffs who shamelessly uncovers himself. Now listen to David's response to his unholy wife. Verse 21. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord that I did this, who chose me above your father and all his house to appoint me as ruler over Israel, the people of the Lord. Therefore, I will celebrate in pure enjoyment, enjoyment before the Lord. Verse 22. Yet I will demean myself even more than this and will be humbled, meaning abased in my own sight and yours as I please. But by the maids whom you mention, by them I shall be held in honor. His maids are honor him, but not his wife. Verse 23. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children the day of until the day of her death. It, it doesn't say God prevented her from having children. It says she didn't have any. She was one of one of, of a few of David's wives who didn't have any kids for him because she was against her husband. How are you going to criticize him for how he praised the Lord? So let me tell you how this applies to us today. Be careful, you traditional Baptist people who are in these denominations when you criticize people who are in the church of the living God today, the body of Christ, when they are rejoicing for the Lord here, you better be careful. And you wonder why things happen to people is because the majority of Christians are ignorant to God's word. You don't criticize people for praising the Lord, dancing and jumping around and using tambourines. David was also a musician as well as a, a warrior. You couldn't beat him in war. Mm-mm. 
You couldn't beat him in war. Uh, let's move on to verse 20. Well, we are in chapter seven. We have seven and eight to cover today. Um, hopefully nine, maybe depends on if I have the strength to keep reading. I had a busy week, long week. Verse one of chapter seven, second Samuel, when King David lived in his house, it was his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. He needed that rest because David been fighting <laughs> since he was in his teens. Uh, verse two, the king said to Nathan, the prophet. Now, Nathan was the prophet who was also an advisor to King David who spoke on behalf of the Lord when the Lord needed to tell David something. Now the Lord answered David in his prayer, but when God needed to tell him something, he sent his prophet. Okay. Um, verse two, again, the King said to Nathan, the prophet, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar. Now this is David talking to the prophet, but, but I had to uh, explain to you what Nathan's role is and was in uh, King David's, uh, government. Um, what, where, where am I? Okay. Let's pick up at verse two. Again, the King said to Nathan, the prophet, see, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. Pay close attention. As I read now, verse three, and Nathan said to the King, go do everything that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Now, although Nathan was an advisor, advisor to King David, when he misspoke and he meant well, God corrected Nathan. He's going to tell Nathan to go go back and what he needs to tell David in reference to building him um, a house. Listen, verse four. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Should you be the one to build me a house in which to dwell? That's a question. Verse six, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought the sons, the, the descendants of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Verse seven, wherever I have gone with all the Israelites, did I speak a word to any from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, asking, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Verse eight. So now say this to my servant, David, thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, Israel. Now, for those of you who are unaware, if you didn't follow my series in first Samuel, when God chose David, David is the son of Jesse. Jesse is uh, the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is a black woman. David got black in him. Okay. Um, David was pasturing the sheep. He was also protecting the sheep from lions. David was a little warrior, handsome and short in statue, super handsome with no fear of men, no fear of men, but he loved God even at a young age. And God chose him to be king of Israel. So that's why when God says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, David was actually the shepherd over the sheep to be ruler over my people. Israel, verse nine, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like that of the great men of the earth. Verse 10, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in a place of their own and not be disturbed again. The wicked will not afflict them again as formerly. Verse 11, even from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that he will make a house royal destiny for you. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled, meaning when David pass, finally passes away, and you lie down in death with your fathers, your ancestors, I will raise up your descendant after you who shall be born to you and I will establish his kingdom. Now, right here, we are getting ready to talk about a mixture of Solomon, David's son with Bathsheba, the black woman. Solomon was a black man and the Messiah. I'm going to have to slow down and break it down to you when he's talking about the Messiah, as opposed to when he's talking about Solomon. Okay, verse 13, he is the one who shall build a house for my name and my presence, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, Solomon, 
is the one who is going to build a house uh, for my name and my presence. Talking about God. Solomon is the one, David's son. His de- Look, his descendant is going to build a house and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He is not talking about establishing a throne for Solomon forever. He's talking about his the actual throne of the king will be established forever built by Solomon. Okay. Verse 14, I will be his father. He's talking about the Messiah here. Okay. Jesus. And he shall be my son. Okay. We're talking about Jesus. Isn't Jesus the son of God, the living God? Now he's getting ready to start talking about Solomon again. When he commits iniquity, meaning wrongdoing, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of man because Jesus never committed sin. So he's talking about Solomon here because Solomon had many wives and concubines, which was forbidden by God for him because God knew Solomon's weakness. It was women just like King David. And so Solomon at some point and and at some point we're going to get to first and second Kings. Solomon started turning away from the true and living God. Look, that put him on the throne as king and start following the pagan gods of the women that he fell in love with. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But listen to this. Listen, there's a difference between Solomon and Saul here because God never promised Saul anything. Verse 15. But my loving kindness and mercy will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I removed from before you. God removed Saul from king and he removed his love and kindness and mercy from Saul. Why? Because Saul never repented. His ego and his narcissism took over his entire spirit. Uh, Verse 16, your house, meaning his royal dynasty, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And that throne will be established forever through King Jesus. Okay, verse 17, Nathan spoke to David in accordance with all these words and all this vision. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat in prayer before the Lord and said, now listen to David's prayer. We can learn a lot from David on how to pray. Look, we read his um, experiences with God in Psalms. David wrote the book of Psalms. For those of you who didn't know, David wrote the book of Psalms and we are inspired by those writings every day. I know I am. That's his experiences with God, good and bad. So listen to David's prayer. Oh, uh, who am I? Oh, Lord God. And what is my house? He's talking about his family that you have brought me this far. Verse 19. Yet this was very insignificant in your eyes. Oh, Lord God. For you have spoken also of your servant's house, talking about his royal dynasty in the distant future. Yes, this is futuristic. You hear me? We're talking about his son Solomon when he's going to be born and talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes from the lineage of David. He comes from the house of Judah. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the lion of Judah. And you ask if Jesus is the son of God, how can he come from the lineage of David through Mary? Through Mary, that's how. Okay, verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you know knowledge and choose um, your servant, O Lord God. Verse 21. Because of your word and God's word is his promise. Okay. And in accordance with your own heart, you have done all these great and astounding things to let your servant know, meaning understand. Verse 22. Therefore, you are great. O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you that should be included in all of your prayers. It's now included in mine for you are God and besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears, there is no other God before you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 23. What one nation on earth is like your people, Israel? whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do great and and awesome things for yourself and for your land before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. If you guys can remember when God sent Moses, 
who was a Christ-like figure to redeem and rescue his people, Israel, or the Israelites from out of the hands of the Egyptians who had enslaved them for 430 years. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Verse 24. You establish for yourself, your people, Israel, as your people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Verse 25. Now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word of the covenant that you have spoken in regard to your servant and his house, meaning his royal dynasty. And do just as you have spoken. Verse 26. So that your name may be magnified for every saying, the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord of armies, is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. This is David's prayer. See, you got to pray God's word back to him. Okay, God confirms his word and his word never returns to him void. So remember in your prayer to include God's word and speak it to him like David is doing. Verse 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. For that reason, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you because God said it. And David found courage to pray this prayer to him because God said it. That's why. Verse 28. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are truth. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Verse 29. Therefore, now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord, have spoken it. And with your blessing, may the house of your servant be blessed forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, it came about after this that David defeated the Philistines and subdued, meaning humbled them, and he took control of Metheg Amah. That is the main city of the Philistines. From the hand of the Philistines, he took control of Metheg Amah. Okay, verse 20, um, verse 2, I'm sorry. He defeated Moab. And measured them with a length of rope, making them lie down on the ground. He measured two, two lengths to choose those to put to death and one full length to choose those to be kept alive. And the surviving Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Now, when he measured them, what he did was chose to kill two out of every three men. Hey, they were evil people. They were some evil people. And uh, the ones he chose not to kill became David's servants. Verse three, then David defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zeboa, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates or the Euphrates River. That may be how it's, it's worded in, in your version, but it's a river Euphrates. Verse four, David captured from him 1700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. David also hamstrung all the chariot horses, making them lame, but reserved enough of them for a hundred chariots. Verse five, when the Arameans, meaning the Syrians of Damascus, came to help Hadadezer, king of Zabor, David struck down 22,000 Arameans. Verse six, then David put garrisons among the Arameans in Damascus and the Arameans became his servants and brought tribute. The Lord helped David wherever he went. Verse seven. And I want y'all to pay attention to the latter part of verse six. The Lord helped David wherever he went. Our question is, should be why? It's because David was serving and believing and obeying the true and living God. That's why. That's why Israel has never lost a war under King David. Never. Um, verse seven, David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Verse eight. And from Bata and Berathiah, cities of Hadadezer, King David took an immense quantity of bronze. Verse nine. When Toi, king of Hamath, heard about David's defeat of all the forces of Hadadezer, 
Verse 10, Toi sent Jeram, his son, to King David to greet and con congratulate him for his battle and defeat of Hadadezer. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toi, <laughs> Jeram brought him with articles of silver, gold, and bronze as gifts to King David. Verse 11, King David also dedicated these gifts to the Lord, along with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he subdued or either defeated in war. Verse 12, from Aram, which is Syria, Moab, the Ammonites, and the Philistines, and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rahab, king of Zeboiah. Oh, verse 13, so David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans, meaning Syrians in the Valley of Salt. Verse 14, he put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom, he put garrisons and all the Edomites became servants to David and the Lord helped him wherever he went. Verse 15, so David reigned over Israel and continued to administer justice and righteousness for all the people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I told y'all why God chose David and to make sure David's throne, his kingdom, and we're talking about the throne of Israel reigns forever or the throne of Jerusalem. Cause when Christ returned, the new Jerusalem will be set up in Jerusalem. Okay. Because Listen to this. Keep verse 15 written in your heart. If somebody want to always refer to the Old Testament, remember 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel and continued to administer justice and righteousness for all his people. Justice and righteousness for all the people. That is not what is what is being administered today in America. It's not justice and righteousness for any of God's people. God has a remnant in America. America is not a Christian nation, but it has a bunch of Christians in it. And the Christians are God's people. Those are the only ones who are God's people. Us Christians who cried tears of blood asking God to remove Donald Trump and God removed him. Yes, he did. It was the hand of God that moved Trump. Now, verse 16, Joab, the son of Zeruah, was commander over the army, David's army. Jehoshaphat, the son of Aludut, was the recorder, meaning the secretary. Verse 17, Zodok, the son of Ahitub and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the chief priest. And Saria was described. She was the one who kept all the documents together and recorded everything they needed recorded. Uh, verse 18, Benia, the son of Jehodia, was head over both the, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, the king's bodyguards. And David's sons were chief uh, confidential advisors. They were officials to the king. And you can read about that in first Chronicles chapter 18, verse 17. Now we are supposed to end here, but guess what? I think we can finish chapter nine, chapter nine, verse one. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house? Talking about the family of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan, Saul's son was David's best friend. Verse two, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So they called him to David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. Verse three. And the king said, is there no longer anyone left of the house or the family of Saul to whom I may show the goodness and graciousness of God? And remember, because of Jonathan, not because of evil Saul. Ziba replied to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, one whose feet are crippled, meaning Jonathan had a son who was who had special needs. He couldn't walk. He was crippled. And that's in first Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 and 17, which we covered already. Verse four. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba replied to the king. He is in the house of Mechir or Mechir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. Verse five. Then King David sent word and had him brought from the house of Machir or Mechir, the son of Emil from Lodibar. Verse six. Meshibaset. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell face down and lay himself down in respect of King David. David said, 
uh, Meshibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. Verse seven, David said to him, do not be afraid for I, I will certainly show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. Look how generous David is. He's not trying to keep everything for himself. David was very generous, uh, generous, and you shall always eat at my table. Verse eight, again, Mephibosheth lay himself face down and said, what is your servant that you would be concerned for a dead dog like me because of his lineage, his grandfather? I mean, yeah, his, his grandfather, Saul, who was king, who was evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, he was evil from the inside out. Verse nine, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul, his grandfather, and to all his family. Verse 10, you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do according to everything that my Lord, the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Look at the heart of David and you wonder why God chose him to be over people. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all who lived in Ziba's house were servants to Mephibosheth. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. Now you remember the oath that David uh, made with Jonathan when they were friends before David started running from Jonathan's father, Saul running for his dear life. He promised Nathan that he would take care of his family. When he became king. Now, Nathan thought he was going to live to work in uh, King David's government and in the palace. Uh, but he didn't. He died in war with his father. Had it been me, I would not have been with my father. You don't follow evil. If you follow evil, I don't care who and what it is. You're going to perish with evil. So I think we can cover chapter 10. Let's let's go for it. That will be the last chapter in uh, episode two. OK. Chapter 10 of 2 Samuel, I am beginning at verse 1. Now it happened later that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, died, and his son Hanun became king in his place. Verse 2, then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father did to me. So David sent a letter along with some of his servants to console him in regard to his father's death. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites. Now we are getting ready to read when, what happens when you set it under the counsel of the ungodly. Now, David just said he was going to show this man kindness because the man showed kindness to him. But I want you to listen to the advice this man receives after David's men arrived there to tell him what King David said. Uh, verse three. But the princes of the Ammonites were suspicious and said to Hanun, their Lord, do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city, to spy it out and overthrow it? That is not how David worked. Put it this way. That's not how David rolled. If you were a city that attacked him, David's responsibility as a king and a warrior was to make sure that his men defeated you so you wouldn't attack Israel again. And they didn't know David's heart, you see. And, and, and listen now, verse four. So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off their beards and cut off their robes in the middle as far as their hips and sent them away. He, he what he did was humiliate them. Okay. Verse five, when David was informed, he sent messengers to meet them before they reached Jerusalem. Talking about his men, because they was on their way back. For the men were greatly ashamed and humiliated. And the king said, stay at Jericho until your beards grow and then return. Verse six, 
when the Ammonites saw that they had become an object of hatred to David, they had become an object of hatred because David didn't hate them. He was getting ready to show them mercy. Um, they sent word and hired the Arameans, meaning the Syrians of Beth Rehab and the Arameans of Jaboa uh, or either Zaboa, 20,000 foot soldiers and the king of Maka of Maka or Maaka with 1000 men and the men of Tob with 12,000 men to fight for them. But how many of us know when God is on your side, you can have a million men fighting before you. You will not defeat God. Verse seven, when David heard about it, he sent Joab and the entire army, the strong and brave men. Verse eight, the Ammonites came out and lined up for battle at the entrance of the city gate. But the Amorines of Zabor and Rahab and the men of Tab and Maaka were stationed by themselves in the field. Verse nine. Now, when Joab saw that the battle front was against him in front and, and in the rear, he selected some of all the choice men in Israel and set them in battle formation to meet the Arameans, meaning the Assyrians. Verse 10. But he placed the rest of the men in the hand of his brother Abishia and or either Abishai. That's what it is. Abishai. And he placed them in battle formation to meet the Amorites. Verse 11, Joab said to Abishai, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I will come to help you. Verse 12, be courageous and let us show ourselves courageous for the benefit of our people and the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Verse 13, so Joab and the people who were with him approached the battle against the Arameans and they fled before him. Now, verse 14, when the Ammonites saw that the Arameans had fled, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from battling against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Verse 15, when the Arameans saw that they were defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Verse 16, Hadadezer sent word and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river Euphrates, and they came to Helam. And Shabak, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, led them. Verse 17, when David was informed, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. Then the Arameans assembled in battle formation to meet David and fought against him. Verse 18, but the Arameans fled before Israel and David killed 700 Aramean charioteers and 40,000 horsemen and struck Shabak, the commander of their army, and he died there. Verse 19, when all the king's servant Hadadiza saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans, meaning the, the, the Syrians, were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore. Let me tell you something. David tried to make peace with them. See, but evil people don't want peace. And none of them, 40,000 of the horsemen were struck down would have died had they made peace with David. Don't you follow a evil king. Don't you follow evil. I'm telling you, but David, when it came time to fight and protect Israel and himself, David never lost a war. He didn't lose a war because God was with him. Oh yes. God was with David because he was righteous. He was, when it came to people and how he treated people, David was just and righteous because the Bible is clear in second Samuel. When we get to chapter 24, those who rule over men must be just ruling in the fear of God and to be just is to be righteous. Presidents are not to side with one ethnicity of people, especially in the United States. The president over the United States ought to be just and righteous ruling in the fear of God. We had a president who didn't fear God at all and doesn't fear God. All he cares about is himself. And I've heard people say, well, you know, his father made him like that. So what? He got burning in hell with his father too. His father burning in hell right now, according to this Bible. 
And he going to burn in hell with them unless he change. And let me tell you, a person that's rotten from the inside out is very difficult to change. It is very difficult. He was being ill-advised by uh, false teachers of the gospel. Uh, Paula White was his spiritual advisor, and she don't know the Lord. Just because somebody says Jesus doesn't mean that they believe what Jesus stands for, which is love, peace, and unity in the body of Christ. Paula White lusts for money. She have had public divorces. Do you hear me? Public divorces. Fighting over money and everything. Been married several times. And this is who the president had counseling him. Let me tell you something. You can't counsel Satan. You can't. What you can do is feed Satan's ego. Now, I, my call to Christians are to, is to walk in peace, to walk in love, and to walk in unity. As a minister of the gospel, my job is to preach the truth. But make no mistake about it. I practice what I preach. I love everyone. I don't care who you are. If you are ready to repent of your ways and accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart so that you can obtain salvation through grace, you can do that anytime. I don't care if you killed a thousand people. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, you have to receive him into your heart. You can be born again and God will forgive you. It doesn't matter what you have done. Don't listen to false teachers telling you that if you do a certain thing, you cannot be forgiven. That's a lie. The only thing that is not forgiven according to the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So don't you do that because that person will never be forgiven by, by the Lord. So um, with that said, saints, continue to walk in love. Because if you walk in hate like the hate we see going on in in America, you will become that you will be no different from them. It is love that separates us from haters. And I'm going to quote something from Dr. Martin Luther King. He said he decided to walk in love or to love because hate is too great a burden to carry. And we need to focus on that. Do you know the sickness you can bring upon yourself carrying hate? Do you know the destruction you can bring upon you and your family by walking in hate? If you're walking in hate, you're walking for the devil. The devil is the one who created hate, unity, and discrimination and prejudice. John says, if you walk in hate, you don't know God. A man who does not love his brother don't know God because God is the very essence of love. So we have to, as Christians, I don't care how frustrated we get. I don't care what we see on the devil's television and the devil's media sites. We still have to walk in love toward one another. I don't care who you are. If you come to me with hate, I'm going to show you the love of God. But I will say this and will never retract it. Don't you ever put your hands on me because I will be the last individual you ever touch with evil. OK, I I'm one of those people who is well trained to defend myself, but I would prefer to show you love and kindness. That is what I would prefer to do, because those people who have been overtaken by hate, they don't know what love is. How on earth you thought you can overthrow the government of the United States who has the largest military on the planet? And you think that you were going to go in the Capitol kidnap lawmakers, assassinate some of them, and that was going to be it. And everything was going to be okay. This man, and when I say this man, I'm talking about Trump. This man may have directed you to do that because he know his days were over as, as president of the United States. But he could care less what was going to happen to you after. Now we got people admitting who uh, initiated this because what we saw was Domestic terrorism. They were terrorists. And I heard Steve Scalise say on his website that he condemned what he saw. He immediately condemned it. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's coming to his senses and is going to refuse to follow Trump. And then he, he adds, but Democrats, when people were burning down buildings, never said a word. Let me tell you something. If you don't know the difference between a white supremacist neo-Nazi hate group trying to overthrow the government 
because of white supremacy and white supremacy only to protect a criminal regime, because that's what Trump's administration is and was a criminal regime. You don't know the difference between that and people fighting for equality and justice and mothers crying in the street and marching because their sons were shot down when they could have been just arrested. You don't know the difference. If you don't know the difference, I feel sorry for you. You need to learn the difference. And Steve Scalise needs to be removed from making that statement. If you are going to condemn uh, domestic terrorism, condemn domestic terrorism and keep Democrats out of it. Democrats or rational Republicans had nothing to do with the domestic terror terrorist act we saw uh, perpetrated January the 6th, which was a Wednesday on the Capitol where our lawmakers were doing their job. They were doing their job. They were legally certifying Biden as the next president. They were legally doing it. Biden was chosen by our democracy. There was no fraud. These people were being led by Trump because he didn't want to leave office. He knew he had to go, but he was going to wreak havoc before he left. That's the kind of president y'all wanted in office. They had other Republicans you could have voted for. It's a reason you voted for Trump because you are racist too. You are hate filled too. You can't deceive me. Mm -mm. I know who Christians are. Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. Do you know what that is? A tree is known by what it produces, what your mouth produce, what your actions produce and what you and what and who you support tells me who you are. There's nobody in their right mind who would have supported Trump if they didn't have his same beliefs. This man is evil. His own family members came out and and spoke out against him. His niece who wrote a book, I bought the book. She didn't tell any lies about him. She said how the danger, the most dangerous man in America became the president. She knew what she was talking about. She saw his upbringing. She saw his behavior. She knew the environment he grew up in. She knew it, whether she wanted to make money off of it or not. She still told the truth. She still told the truth. So you as Christians, we ought to walk in love and we should never be seen publicly supporting hate or evil. Or you will reveal yourself to the true Christians that are here today. God already know you ain't for him. Yet Jesus said, you, you know, uh, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they do not follow strangers. That's what Jesus said. Jesus don't stand for hate. He is the epitome of love. What Jesus did on that cross is the greatest love of all, dying for your fellow brother and sister. That's what Jesus did. He showed his love for us. We got somebody who can care less about sending people in there to get killed. And let me tell you how the hand of God was at the Capitol, because there was not enough Capitol police to handle the three or four thousand people who were out there and stormed the Capitol. And there is a report. I don't know if it's confirmed, but I believe it. There is a report that some of the rioters visited the Capitol the day before and was given a tour about where the lawmakers were going to be. Now the Capitol Police is under investigation. They knew what type of people who was going to be out there. Why didn't they have military force out there protecting the Capitol? Now you see what the military is supposed to do. Nancy Pelosi, I thank God for her. She spoke to the National Guardsmen who came to protect the Capitol for, for Biden's inauguration. She said, remember your oath. She's not lying. That's what you're supposed to do. When you take an oath, that is your word. That is your life. You were sworn to protect and serve the constitution and to protect and serve this country against foreign and domestic terrorism. She reminded them of that. Any police officer found to be a supporter of Trump need to be removed from office. Any Republican that knew about this attack on the Capitol before it happened needs to be removed. We have people jumping ship left and right. You hear me? And rightfully so. Now, I can go all night about this because I know the love of God and I want people to know this ain't God acting on behalf of Trump. Trump is what the Bible calls, and this is Apostle Paul speaking, spiritual wickedness in high places. And his children are the principalities. Evil. When you, you, you want to look up the word evil, you will see Trump picture right there along with his children. Demons. That's who they are. I've been saw it. So how on earth? 
You didn't see it. We have angelical Christians. And by the way, the word angelical Christians are not in the Bible. But what I want to share with you is they are coming out now saying they can't believe uh, how they were uh, uh, deceived. They can't believe that uh, they didn't see this in Trump. What? Let me end it on that because I might jump in the flesh responding to that. So, uh, saints, we will complete uh, chapters 11, 12, 13 and 14, maybe 15 tomorrow. Um, second Samuel has 24 chapters. So if we can complete 11, 12, 13, 14 and 15 tomorrow, we can complete this entire series next weekend. So with that said, saints walk in love, be love, walk in God's light as he is in the light. And until next time, peace out. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. I should note that you must be a follower of my show to submit a voice message. So don't forget to hit the follow button. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated and used to help further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That is the English Standard Version. God will give you a return on your gift of love. As long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Continue to walk with Jesus, my saints. I thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time.